This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. What a game at FedEx Forum in Memphis. The Golden State Warriors take game one, 117 to 116. John Morant's running layup attempt at the buzzer off the mark. Golden State goes ahead on a late three-pointer by Klay Thompson. A huge game for Jordan Poole, a game in which Draymond Green gets ejected at the end of the second quarter. Huge performances for John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., the Memphis Grizzlies, on their home floor, and they still cannot close out the Golden State Warriors. In a game in which Klay Thompson did not have it going, he was 6-for-19 from the field. Steph Curry was 8-for-20 from the field, although he hit five three-pointers and scored 24 points. But what we learned in day one of the second round of the NBA playoffs is championship pedigree is going to be important in this postseason. Has been already, and it continues to be important as we move further and further along because Golden State takes game one on the road and Milwaukee, an incredibly impressive performance in Boston, taking game one 101-89. to First loss handed to the Boston Celtics this playoffs. That's because they played the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. And, of course, the Nets, as I think we all know, did not win any games. It's Pat O'Keefe with you. A couple hours, a little later than anticipated, but on late because of the great finish to that Grizzlies-Warriors game. I'll be here till 9. Larry Hardesty after that, 1-800-919-3776. Wrapping up a busy weekend and a busy day in sports. And by the way, we're not done yet because the Mets and the Phillies are about to get going on Sunday night baseball. A very good pitching matchup. Uh, It usually is when Max Scherzer's on the mound. Zach Eflin pitching for the Philadelphia Phillies as the Mets look to continue their stretch of winning every series for the beginning of the season. The Yankees, meanwhile, continue to roll. They've only lost one series so far this season. Somewhat inexplicably, it was to the Baltimore Orioles on the road Easter weekend. That's it, though, for the Yankees. That's really the only blemish series-wise. They win again today and come from behind fashion 6-4 to four over the Royals, a game in which the Yankees trailed 4-1. to one. So the Yanks now 16-6. and six. They have not only won three consecutive series, but they have swept three consecutive series, a nine-game winning streak, and up next, a showdown atop the American League East with the Toronto Blue Jays hosting the Yankees starting tomorrow. A 7 o'clock game north of the border. Yankees and Blue Jays, a three-game set in Toronto before the Yankees come back home to take on Texas and the Blue Jays a couple more times. So Yankees continue to roll. Uh, They're doing it in a number of ways. Today was the rare game this season in which the Yankees did not pitch well. Uh, Luis Severino got into a little bit of trouble, got through five innings, which was excellent for him and for any pitcher on the Yankees staff because the only negative to the Yankees pitching so far this season has been the length. And and a lot of that is due to the fact that it's been cold. It's been extremely cold, although it wasn't cold in Kansas City this weekend. Um, obviously, the shortened spring training and the Yankees' arms aren't built back up yet. But that hasn't been an issue because even though they haven't given them a ton of length, first of all, nobody's giving their uh, team a ton of length from the starting rotation. And secondly, the Yankees' bullpen has been outstanding, and they were outstanding once again today in this 6-4 to victory over the Kansas City Royals. So the Yankees exactly where they want to be right now, this nine-game winning streak when it started. And remember, the last game they lost was that Thursday afternoon game in Detroit when they were actually going for a three-game sweep then. So the Yankees were one game away from four consecutive three-game sweeps. It was a lackluster performance on Thursday, April 21st, a day game, a getaway day 
in Detroit. Yankees lost 3 nothing to Michael Pineda. That dropped their record to 7-6, and six, and there was just no sign of consistency from this lineup. They were getting terrific pitching, but no sign of consistency from the lineup. They were scoring the fewest runs in the American League. Well, they haven't lost since. Three wins over Cleveland, three wins over Baltimore, three wins over Kansas City. They've done exactly what you need to do to win divisions in baseball these days, and that is take advantage of the bad teams. The Yankees have done that three straight series, and up next is anything but a bad team. The Toronto Blue Jays starting tomorrow. So we'll talk Yanks. We'll hear from Aaron Judge. We'll hear from Aaron Boone. Reaction to the weekend, reaction to the comeback win. Aaron Judge had himself a big game with a couple of home runs. He uh, seems to be very locked in right now. We'll get into the NBA and what we saw from Golden State, what we saw from the Milwaukee Bucks in their 12-point win over the Boston Celtics without, of course, Chris Middleton. And anything else on your mind, of course, we'll recap the NFL draft. That is now officially in the books. And now we look forward to the Giants and the Jets going from winners in this weekend's NFL draft to actually applying it on the field, which, as we know, is a lot easier said than done. And at the end of the day, that is the most important part. So I'll be with you for a couple of hours. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. Seeing on Twitter, Shaheen Holloway, of course, the coach of Seton Hall, who was recently the coach of St. Peter's University, um, led them to the Elite Eight, of course. The Peacocks, that great magical run, just throughout the first pitch at City Field. He's a Queens native. He's got Jersey roots, obviously. Uh, he played for St. Patrick's in New Jersey. Coached, I went to Seton Hall, coached at St. Peter's, now coaches at Seton Hall. He's actually a New York City kid. He's a Queens boy, and he went to high school in New Jersey. Uh, when he was uh, graduating in the late, ni- uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Throughout the first pitch at City Field, I'm told that he bounced it. Uh, friend of the program, Zach Braziller of the New York Post, tweeted that he bounced it. So apparently Shaheen Holloway is not good at everything, but uh, we'll give him a break on that. Cool experience for him as the Mets welcomed him to City Field, recognizing what he and his team accomplished in the NCAA tournament. Also, you're going to want to hear this. You're going to want to do this. You're going to want to download the all-new ESPN New York app. You can get all your favorite 98.7 radio shows and play-by-play streaming live. Catch up on what you might have missed, you got Daily Recap Podcasts, DPH on Rothenberg, the Michael K Show, Greeny, ENN, plenty more. You got some streaming exclusives. You can hear Game Misconduct, uh, Caught Offside, Flight Deck, uh, Breaking Big Blue. It was a big weekend for the football teams. As we know, the all-new ESPN New York app available now on the App Store and Google Play. Your city, your teams, your ESPN New York app. It is extremely user-friendly. I downloaded it as soon as it became available, and it is fantastic. So go get your hands on the uh, ESPN New York app, all new. Pat O'Keefe with you, 1-800-919-3776. We'll do plenty on the NBA playoffs. We'll we'll talk some Yankees now and uh, really where they stand. And I had said a couple of weeks ago, like, wouldn't it be – uh, and the Yankees got off to not not the greatest start. It wasn't a terrible start. They never buried themselves at the beginning of the season, which was important. So even when they weren't hitting well, the pitching has been fantastic from the beginning of the season. But I made the point a couple of weeks ago, wouldn't it be nice for a change? Because this used to happen every single year. For a change, wouldn't it be nice for the Yankees to get off to a terrific start and kind of be the pace setters in the division, be the pace setters in the American League, and let teams chase them for once? I mean, it seems like year after year after year recently, the Yankees have – 
gotten out of the gates very slowly. You fall behind Tampa Bay. You fall behind Boston. You fall behind Toronto. And then you're literally playing catch-up the rest of the season. And those are really good teams. And those aren't teams that you want to play catch-up against. I mean, even right now, Toronto's 15-8. and They're right on the Yankees' heels. Tampa Bay's 12-10. and Doesn't matter the roster turnover they have each and every season. The Red Sox are struggling. But the Yankees right now are 16-6 and after their ninth straight win. 6-4 in Kansas City. 16-6. and They're winning at a 7-27 clip. That is the best record in the division, the best record in the American League, and it's right now the best record in Major League Baseball. The Yankees, 22 games into the season, are setting the pace in the Major Leagues. That used to be commonplace. They are taking care of business at home. They're 10-3. and They're taking care of business on the road. They're 6-3. and Now, has it been the toughest schedule in the world it hasn't all right but Tampa Bay in recent years and Boston in recent years won the American League East the biggest reason why they were able to do that is by beating up on the bad teams that they play and look the collective bargaining agreement one of the things that the Players Association wanted to do away with during that tense back and forth negotiations during the offseason one of the things that Major League Baseball players wanted to do away with was teams tanking teams breaking their entire rosters down and being really bad for a couple of years to get the draft picks. That's going to happen down the line. It's not going to happen this year. This year, we still have several of those really bad teams that if you're the Yankees, if you're the Blue Jays, if you're the Mets, if you're a team with designs on going to the playoffs, winning your division, you have to beat those teams and you have to beat them handily. And you go back to the third series of the year. The Yankees started off pretty well. They win two games against the Red Sox and then lose. All right, that's a series win. You like that. And then you play four games at home against the Blue Jays. You split those four games. They didn't hit that well, but you can live with a three-game series win over the Red Sox and splitting a four-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays, even if it was at home. So they were off to a pretty decent start. And then they go to Baltimore. They don't hit. They lose two out of three. And you're starting to think, here we go again. This is the Yankees team that we've seen time after time, basically for the last four or five years, except for that 2018, uh, 2019 season, excuse me, Aaron Boone's uh, really one good season as the Yankees manager is one terrific season when the Yankees almost went to the World Series. Um, this year, they rebound from that Orioles series, and the schedule after the first two series has been very, very, very forgiving. You had the Baltimore series. They didn't take advantage of that. Then you go to Detroit for three. You win two games there. You come home, three games with Cleveland, sweep. Three games with Baltimore, sweep. Three games with Kansas City, in Kansas City, sweep. Nine straight wins. And now what you're starting to see, you're starting to see them win different ways. All right? Earlier against the Tigers, when they took two out of three, they still weren't hitting, but they were getting excellent pitching. And then the Cleveland series, the first couple of games, you squeak out a couple of wins. Game three on Sunday against the Guardians last week, the day after all the garbage was thrown on the field, you beat them 10-2. to Now your offense starts to get rolling a little bit. They get some confidence in that game. It rolls right into the Orioles series. You win 12-8 to in game one, 5-2 to in game two, and then 10-5 to in the final game. And frankly, the eight runs and the five runs that the Orioles scored in the first and third runs of those series, a lot of those were given up by the Yankees' bullpen, the non-high leverage guys in the bullpen after those games have been decided. And then you hit your way through Kansas City. 12 runs on Friday. A 3 nothing shutout yesterday. And a come-from-behind 6-4 to win today. So now you're in the position where you fall behind 4-1 to in the middle of the game. 
you still have the confidence that your offense can come back. That's exactly what happened. And yet, Judge hit two home runs. One was an absolute mammoth shot in the first inning, 453 feet to straightaway center field. But the second home run that Aaron Judge hit, the game was 5-4, and it was a little insurance in the ninth inning. So the Yankees took control of that game, or at least took the lead in that game by doing the little things. And this lineup has so much more capability of doing the little things that people like me and many, many others have been calling for the Yankees to do for several years now. It does not have the feel of all or nothing. Aaron Judge has never had the feel of all or nothing, but guys like Giancarlo Stanton and Joey Gallo and, uh, you know, the Glaber Torres, Aaron Hicks, the guys who you've really depended on in recent years had a feel of, of all or nothing, but that's not what this feels like this season. Stanton is a more complete hitter. Judge, obviously, is one of the most complete hitters in Major League Baseball. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, after his 1-for-17 or 1-for-19 start or whatever it is, he's now batting 300, and he seems to make things happen every single time he's in the lineup. Even today, Miguel Andujar gets a shot, starts in left field. He goes 2-for-4 and scores a run during the Yankees' rally after they fell behind 4-to-1. Here's how the Yankees' run scored after it was 4-to-1. An RBI double for Kiner Falefa that scored in Duhar. An RBI single for DJ LeMahieu, who's been their best player from start to finish this season. And then Aaron Judge got a run home by grounding out to the pitcher. And then Josh Donaldson gave the Yankees the lead, grounding into a fielder's choice, a play on which Anthony Rizzo scored. So their tying run, their go-ahead run in the seventh inning were both scored on ground outs. That did not happen. That did not happen in recent years with any regularity. And again, the Yankees are finding ways, different ways to win, and they have put together a really impressive stretch of baseball. Speaking of impressive, Max Scherzer just blew through the top of the Phillies order in the uh, top of the first inning. One, two, three. Uh, he prances off the mound. <laughs> I love Max Scherzer. He is one of my, he, he, for years, he's been one of my favorite non-New York athletes. Just love the guy's fire, love the guy's competitiveness, and obviously his immense talent. Uh, now he is a New York athlete, so he's no longer in that category. All right, let's take some phone calls. 1-800-919-3776. Anything that's on your mind. The Yanks, the Mets, the NFL draft, the NBA playoffs. Let's go to Sal and Valley Stream checking in. Sal, how you doing this evening? How are you, Pat? First-time caller. What's Thanks up? for calling, Sal. Thanks. Listen, I got something on the NBA playoffs this time. Yeah. Um, you know, today the Warriors really beat the Grizzlies. I mean, listen, what a performance by Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, you know, did very competitive. And, listen, amazing game by the Warriors, 115-114 to 114 final score. And, listen... I tell you, maybe the Warriors are going to compete for a, for an NBA Finals this year, and you know, so said that the Knicks are eliminated. But I think the Warriors are probably going to be in the NBA Finals. And what did you think of the performance by Clay Thompson and Steph Curry today? What did you think, Pat? Good call, Sal. Thanks for making the call. Um, I thought Clay Thompson struggled today, but he hit that one huge shot with about 37 seconds left. Uh, what was the score when he hit that three? It was 116-114 with 36 seconds left. He got the defender uh, to leave his feet. He took a dribble. He set himself, and he knocked down a huge three from the right wing. He's still not 100%, and I don't know if he's going to be 100% between now and the end of the season, but this team can go to the finals even if he's not. Curry didn't have a great game. Jordan Poole is the X factor for this team. He's the piece that they've never had before in recent years. This guy, the last month of the season, scored 30 points every night. 
when Curry was out, when Thompson was in and out of the lineup, Jordan Poole carried this team down the stretch, and he continues to do so. Now you have Curry back in the starting lineup. He was coming off the bench in round one. You have Jordan Poole coming off the bench now, and Poole doesn't miss a beat. He played 37 minutes off the bench and scored 31 points inside and outside. The guy almost had a triple-double. He had nine assists. He had eight rebounds. He hit five three-pointers. That is the piece that the Warriors haven't had in recent years. Obviously, when Kevin Durant was there and they won the title in 2017 and 2018, and in my opinion, would have won the title in 2019 were it not for the Durant and Thompson injuries, they had so many options. But now you have Curry, who's still as explosive as ever. You have Jordan Poole added to that, and he's kind of jumped ahead of Klay Thompson in the pecking order just because of Thompson's health. I mean, the guy missed two and a half full NBA seasons, two and a half NBA seasons before coming back this January. He now is a very, very nice third option. And then you have Andrew Wiggins, who, yeah, you could say he was an all-star. I didn't think he was a deserving all-star, but he was an all-star, so let's call it what it is. What he is is he was an all-star level player at the time. And if Andrew Wiggins is your fourth option, and we haven't even mentioned Draymond Green, and for them to win this game on the road without Draymond Green, who got ejected with a minute or so to go in the second quarter for grabbing the jersey of Brandon Clark. It was a really dangerous play. Clark was airborne going up for a shot. Draymond tried to foul him. He got a hold of his jersey. Now, I don't think he intended to potentially injure him that way because Draymond's reaction was immediate and trying to brace the fall of Clark, but the damage was already done. They called it a flagrant two, and that was the call. That was the right call to make because... It was a very dangerous play. Clark could have lost his balance in the air. He could have fallen on his face. He could have fractured a facial bone. We just saw that from Joel Embiid. But my point is, they played the second half without Draymond Green. They were trailing at halftime, and they took control of this game in the fourth quarter, and then Memphis makes a late run. But Golden State, and it goes back to, and this is where Thompson's going to be so important, it goes back to that championship pedigree. Let this Golden State team stay alive as long as possible in these playoffs. As l The longer they stay alive, the more they are going to resemble the championship teams that we saw in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, the teams that went to the NBA Finals year after year. Not in terms of their explosiveness, not in terms of their athleticism, but these guys, Curry, Thompson, Green, these guys have played in every big game you can imagine and the deeper you get into these playoffs that is going to become more and more of a factor all right back here pat o'keefe 98.7 espn new york following a day in which the yankees wrapped up their third straight three-game series sweep. This one on the road in Kansas City over the Royals. They come from behind 6-4 to four win. Nine in a row now for the Yanks. They head to Toronto for a huge three-game series. A huge early season measuring stick type three-game series north of the border Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Mets and Phillies top of the second inning at City Field right now. They are scoreless. Scherzer and Eflin each got through the first inning 
unscathed. 1-800-919-3776. That's the baseball story, the basketball story. Second round underway today in Boston. The Celtics are handed their first loss of these playoffs. Milwaukee, which got off to a slow start, took control of this game or took the lead late in the first quarter and really had control of it the rest of the way through. A 101-89 victory. Terrific defensive effort for Milwaukee. That's clearly something that Boston did not see from the opposition in the first round of the playoffs. So the Celtics, after not playing the Nets anymore, facing a team that is going to, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Try. Facing a team that's going to try in the Milwaukee Bucks. It's a new animal for the Boston Celtics, and they better get this thing figured out right away because Chris Middleton or no Chris Middleton for Milwaukee, they've already gotten one game in Boston. You don't want to fall behind 0-2 with that series heading back home to the uh, home of the defending NBA champs. And then just a fantastic game in Memphis between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Back and forth, Grizzlies led at halftime. Warriors took the lead in the fourth quarter. Memphis makes a late push. A huge late three-pointer for Klay Thompson gives the Warriors the lead for good. John Moran has a last-second shot, a really good look on a terrifically designed play by Grizzlies head coach Taylor Jenkins, but he missed it. Good defense by Thompson on that last play. So the road teams win both games opening their second round playoff series. The Bucks up one nothing. The Warriors up one nothing. The other two series will get going tomorrow. You have Philadelphia playing without Joel Embiid, visiting Miami, and then you have Phoenix, the top seed in the NBA, hosting Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. All right, let's go back to the phones. Again, 1-800-919-3776 and check in with Richard in Manhattan. Richard, how you doing tonight? That 45 games have been played, playoffs, 15 days. Today is day 15. 45 games have been played. Guess how many home team wins are there out of the 45? Ooh, that's a good question, Richard. Uh, 22? 23. Ooh, so the home missed. team is 23 and 22. There's no home court advantage anymore. No home court advantage. It doesn't matter. And Boston losing at home without a Milwaukee second best ball player, Middleton not playing, that's unbelievable. That is really unbelievable. That, but you know what, Richard? That, that's across sports now, the home yeah. court advantage or the home field advantage. I mean, look at yeah, how many road teams win in the NFL football? playoffs. No, football, you don't think? Play, yeah. Green Bay it's not like it used to be. In, in the old days. Lost at home. In the yeah, old days, right. you never won a road playoff game in the NFL. Now it's, it's almost 50 50 oh, yeah, there, too. Right. Yeah, hockey for for a long time. It well, hockey for the, yeah, hockey yeah. for a long time. That that always had the 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 least the, the the most road teams winning. Yes. And baseball really doesn't mean anything anymore either. Baseball so. means the, you know it's the starting pitcher. It's, funny. it's who's pitching and has your lineup. Around for the home field, home court, home, and it really doesn't mean much. You know, if the Mets if the Mets are on the road in the playoffs, Richard, and they have Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom, a healthy Jacob Degrom pitching back to back days, doesn't, doesn't matter where those games are. You know, you mentioned Golden State. And I don't think I've ever seen in sports anything like that, where a team was so dominant for a few years, then all their players get hurt or they trade away somebody like Durant leaving, and they're way on the bottom for a couple of years. Way. I mean, lottery pick bottom. They're that bad. And then little by little, they get a couple of their players. Well, they get the few their main core guys back. They lose Durant, of course. And now, if they were to win the championship this year, I mean, it would be like nothing that's ever happened in any of the four major sports. Not that I can recall. Nothing. R- Richard, I think, I think you're right. And I, I, I don't know if it's happened before. I definitely can't recall that happening. But they had a run. 
15, 16, 17, 18, 19. They go to five straight NBA Finals. They win three of them. Let's be honest. They could have easily won the other two. They lost in 2016 to Cleveland, largely because Draymond Green punched LeBron James below the belt and got suspended. And then in 2019, Durant gets hurt. Klay Thompson gets hurt. Otherwise, I think they beat Toronto. So they have a five-year run of dominance. They bottom out. They pick second in the draft last year, James Wiseman. And you're right. Here they are, right back with a chance to go to the conference finals. Yeah, Pat, you know what's great about this year's NBA playoffs? First of all, first of all, there were no upsets. So you have the top four in the East, the top four, the top, yeah, the top eight yeah. in the East, the top eight in the West. So you got the best teams playing. But now every team except Milwaukee would be a story. There is, I mean, Milwaukee's the only dominant because they won it last year. But you can say the other seven teams, whoever won it, it would be a big upset. It really would. Because none of, half of these teams have never even won it. And it'd be, Golden State would be a surprise. Uh, certainly Phoenix, slightly a surprise. Nobody thought they'd be as good as they were last year. Paul being a year older, Booker being injured in and out. Every one of the other teams, would, and Milwaukee, without Middleton, would even be a slight surprise. Boston came out of nowhere. Philadelphia, you can never count on. A beat gets hurt all the time. Miami is hot and cold. Uh, all these teams, you know, Minnesota, well, Minnesota's out. Memphis has never won it and never even been close to winning it. So all these teams would be great storylines. The only one, in my opinion, that wouldn't be a great storyline would be Milwaukee because they won it last year. And they, in my mind, they would be the odds-on favorite this year. So it's really a great NBA playoff. It is. But the yeah, first Richard. round was not, was not so great because everything felt, went true to form. It wasn't like the NCAA. There were some good games, though. There, there were some intriguing games and intriguing series, Richard, and thanks for the call. I, I would disagree on one point. I think Milwaukee, if they were to win it, is a big story too. Because if that's a big story, think about what it means for Giannis Antetokounmpo's legacy. Now, he's already this year voted a top 76 player of all time on the NBA 75th anniversary team. He's a two-time regular season MVP. Maybe a three-time this year. Probably not. I don't think he's going to win, but he's one of the top three candidates along with Embiid and Jokic. Last year, he has an epic closeout game, 50 points in the final game of the NBA Finals, leading his team to a fourth straight win and their first championship in 50 years. So if he comes back this year and they win back-to-back -back NBA championships, the last team to win back-to-back, -back, of course, was the Golden State Warriors in 2017 and 2018. But to Richard's point, the whole NBA just has a better feel basically since... 2019 because you don't know who's going to win the championship and I like it so much better that way I mean we went through nearly a decade where you kind of knew who the champion was going to be well in advance of the finals and if not the champion itself you knew that there was a group of three maybe four teams capable of winning an NBA championship and that was it it started with the LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh partnership when the Heat went to four consecutive finals. They won two finals. Once they broke up and after 2014, that kind of rolled into the Warriors' five-year run of dominance through the Western Conference, and that coincided with LeBron James going back to Cleveland. So in 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018, you had the same exact matchup in the finals. And Golden State was the better team all four years. I mean, think about that. They won three of those four championships. The one they didn't win...
They won 73 games in the regular season. And again, they had a 3-1 to lead in the finals before one of their key players, Green, got suspended for Game 5. And then LeBron James and Kyrie Irving caught fire and were able to bring them home. But you kind of knew it was going to be the Warriors. And if not the Warriors, you knew it was going to be the Cavs. And you knew it was going to be the Warriors and the Cavs in the finals for four straight years. And while the 2016 finals were epic, it's one of the best finals I remember, 2017 and 2018 weren't that much fun. Once they got Kevin Durant, they were so much better than the Cavs, and they were so much better than everyone else. And by the way, I think that's a big reason, and I said it at the time, I think that's a big reason why a lot of people don't like Kevin Durant. Because him going to Golden State to chase a championship took away a lot of the competitive balance in the NBA. And fans held that against him. And guess what? Fans have absolutely every right to do that. And I think that's part of the backlash for Kevin Durant. And I think that's why when he struggles against Boston, like we saw in these playoffs this year, and he suffers a first-round exit and a first-round sweep, I think everybody takes a little more delight in that because of Kevin Durant's move. It all, a lot of it stems back to that offseason of 2016 when he decided to go to the Warriors after he couldn't beat the Warriors. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Joe in Queens. Joe, what's going on? Yes, hi, uh, Pat. Uh, first time call. I'm calling in regards to the NFL draft. I've been a Jet fan for many years. And uh, how you feeling? How you feeling this weekend? Well, well, I I, I love the first four picks. I questioned uh, the fifth pick. I thought the Jets should address the linebacker position since we have a need there, and and also defensive tackle since Fadakasi left in free agency. Uh, and we have very little depth in terms of linebacker. We have uh, C.J. Mosley, of course, and, Quinn and uh, Quinnen Williams. And then we have these the two rookies that were converted uh, safeties into linebackers, Sherwood and, uh, and Hazel Dean. So I just wondered what you thought about that. You know, I mean, I thought we should have addressed the linebacker position and, and even the to get a second wide receiver since uh, Crowder left in, in free agency to the Bills. I, well, look, for... To take your last point first, the wide receiver core with Wilson and Moore and Davis. Okay, not a lot of size there, but those are three potential everyday. Look, Garrett Wilson, you you hope is going to be a star. He should be. You picked him number 10. Elijah Moore was your number one guy last year. He's not a number one guy. If he could be your number two or your number three, I think that's really good. And the same would be said about Corey Davis if he could stay healthy. So that's the wide receiver point. But the the overall point here, and like you said, you're, you've been a fan for a long time. Isn't it a sign of progress? Because I said, are you happy? You said, I'm really happy with the first four picks. I have a little bit of a problem with the fifth pick. Isn't that itself a sign of progress for this franchise? Oh, it certainly is. It certainly is, you know, but... But my, my thought, though, is that we should be looking, even in terms of um, uh, the the, the, uh, the undrafted players now that are that are available. To you know, because we picked up a couple of good guys over the years as undrafted in uh, you know uh, Damon Harrison and also uh, uh, Bryce Huff and uh, Richie Anderson. So there is always a potential. Uh, you know, with that, but I thought maybe even going down the road before the season starts to pick up, uh, you know, some additional players, you know, at least one player, you know, linebacker, and there is, uh, I believe, one on the 49ers, Quan Alexander, which I think is a, is a possibility. Well, Joe, and thanks for the call. There's always going to be the opportunity as teams are manipulating their rosters to get under the salary cap. There's going to be some everyday bonafide starting NFL players at every position, including linebacker, available. That's just the way this league works. So 
if and when the time comes that those guys are on the market, if Joe Douglas feels that it's important to bring one of those guys in, they'll have the opportunity to do so. But what you did is you really shored up your front four and your secondary, obviously with your first-round picks of Jermaine Johnson and Sauce Gardner. So now Sauce Gardner is your shutdown corner uh, on, on the left side or on whatever side they put him on. The defensive line, Quinn and Williams, with Jermaine Johnson. And then the two keys to this whole thing are the two guys who have been injured, and that's Carl Lawson and C.J. Mosley. And if you can get those guys healthy and productive and in your lineup week in and week out, you're, you're halfway there as far as constructing your defense with everyday NFL talent. And that has not been the case for the Jets in recent years. And then obviously you improved on the offensive end. Your wide receiver core is stronger. Your offensive line, you're feeling good about that. You're feeling good about your um, your skill positions with Brees Hall and Michael Carter look like really good last year. And if he's your backup running back this year, or your number two as they split the carries, I think that could be a pretty good platoon as well. When you have as many holes as the Jets had, when you have as many holes as the Giants had, you can't fill them all. But you want to fill as many as possible, and you want to fill the important ones. Did the Jets fill the important ones? Yeah, they did. Cornerback, yeah. Defensive line, yes. Wide receiver, yes. So those are all the areas they addressed. If I had people calling me, lifelong Jets fans, saying I'm concerned about the Jets' first-round pick, I think they reached, I think they whiffed on this guy, or even the second-round pick, then you could say same old Jets. But if you're calling me and saying, yeah, the first pick, the second pick, the third pick, the fourth pick they made were all really good and I'm happy, but I got a little bit of a problem with the fifth pick. Look, the fifth pick, the more, the further you go in these drafts, we all know this, the further you go into the draft, the more of a crapshoot it becomes. And it's also a crapshoot at the top of the draft. Look at how many number one, number two, number three overall picks haven't panned out. So the entire thing is a crapshoot, but it becomes more and more of a crapshoot the further you go into the draft. So I think what they did was, what Joe Douglas did was, he addressed all, these, all the important areas, all the significant areas at the top of the draft. You got to get your guys healthy that are all on your roster. And that look, there's nothing he can do about that to a certain extent. But if Lawson is healthy, if he plays, if Mosley is healthy and gives you a full season, that makes a huge difference as well. Jets are better today than they were on Thursday. There's no question about it. And so are the Giants. And that's great. And the Jets have kind of been... It hasn't been fast, all right? It hasn't been a fast build, but the Jets have, more than the Giants, been slowly building in a positive direction for about a year now. So the Yankees continue to roll a 6-4 to win in Kansas City this afternoon after trailing 4-1 to in the fourth inning. The Yanks score a couple of runs in the fifth to get closer. A Kiner-Falefa RBI double, a DJ LeMahieu RBI single, and then they tie the game and take the lead in the seventh on, respectively, a ground out by Aaron Judge and a ground out by Josh Donaldson. And then Judge added a little insurance in the top of the ninth with his second home run of the game. He also homered 453-foot home run in the top of the first inning. So the Yankees, nine straight wins, three straight series sweeps as they plow through the Kansas City Royals. And up next, the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays are the... Preseason favorites to win the American League East. It's also been a while since the Yankees have been the preseason favorites. Blue Jays are off to a red-hot start as well. They just won two straight games. They're 15-8. and eight. They have a 652 winning percentage, which would be good for first place in most other divisions in Major League Baseball. So the Yankees and Blue Jays, for the second time this season, they played a good four-game series at Yankee Stadium. 
uh, the first week of the season. So a good measuring stick game. The Yankees have done their job taking care of business against bad baseball teams. And I said that about three weeks ago with the stretch coming up of the Orioles and the Tigers and the Guardians and the Orioles and the Royals leading into this Blue Jays series. That was a stretch of games that the Yankees had to take advantage of, and they absolutely did. You take two out of three in Detroit, and then you win nine straight against Cleveland, Baltimore, and Kansas City. And that's 11-1 and in their last 12 games following their disappointing series loss to the Orioles, their only series loss of the season so far. So let's hear from the Yanks. Getaway day in Kansas City. They are on their way to Toronto. A nine-game winning streak. Here's Judge, who hit those two home runs, giving him eight on the season on the team clicking on all cylinders before this big series in Toronto. Yeah, you want to kind of be clicking on all cylinders, you know, especially going against a division rival and especially how hot the Blue Jays have been. Um, but I, I've just been really impressed with the guys up and down the lineup, just good quality at bats, um, especially uh, Izzy, man. You know, doesn't matter if it's off-speed pitch, fastball, guys on base, not on base, man. He's been a real fire plug for us and getting us started, and um, it's been fun to watch. Judge's average is now up to 300. His two home runs today give him eight. He's got... 16 runs batted in, so he's locked in right now. What has been his approach at the plate lately? Uh, the same, you know, a couple miss, missed a couple opportunities, you know, especially the bases loaded, you know, kind of a check swing, we get an RBI, but, um, you know, got to have a better at bat there. And then even my two at bats after uh, the first one against Lynch, you know, not really, you know, just swinging at pitches out of the zone. Um, but it's all, that's why we got a long season, got to keep improving. He said it's a long season. It absolutely is. 22 games in the books. The Yankees are 16-6. and And as I said earlier, it's just nice for this team to set the pace for once. They haven't done that in a long time. They did in 2019. That was the one division title that Aaron Boone won as the Yankees manager. They played from in front that entire season. And that was the best year they've had since... Joe Girardi left since the 2017 ALCS coming one game within the World Series. So the Yankees at 16-6 and are are in first place right now. Best record in Major League Baseball. And Judge knows that it is a long season. Uh, It's just results, man. I'm I'm, I'm focused on the process and what I got to do. And um, results, you know, I could go 4-4-4-0-4-4. But, you know, it's about me just trying to hammer out this process and get it done. Now, how about the Yankees right now at 16-6? and six, Better than the Blue Jays? Better than the Mets, who are both terrific? How about the Yankees having the best record in baseball? It's big time because I know in, in years past, we've kind of scuffled out of the gates in April, and then all of a sudden all year all we're doing is trying to climb back, fight back, fight back. Um, you know, so getting, you know, an early lead like this and trying to maintain that and, and grow it throughout the year is, is, is going to be big for us, especially with the type of uh, teams we have in our division and um, the schedule we got, you know, so we just got to, you know, grow this lead and keep keep going. You know, the other interesting thing that doesn't seem to be a big deal anymore or as big a deal is the rest roulette, as the guys in the K show like to refer to it. Um it was an issue when the Yankees were 7-6. and six. There was no consistency. You're not scoring runs against Baltimore. You're not scoring runs against Detroit. You're getting shut out by the Blue Jays. At 7-6, and six, it's fair to question, why is Judge not in the lineup on Jackie Robinson Day one week into the season? Why is DJ LeMahieu not in the lineup? Why is Glaber Torres' playing time all over the place? All fair questions when you're 7-6. and six. Well, at 16-6, and six, 
all of a sudden it's not that big of a deal. So how's it gone lately? Since this stretch started, today, we'll work backwards. Today, Gallo and Rizzo got the day off. Rizzo came in as a pinch hitter late in the game. Yesterday, Judge got the day off, and Judge always seems to play pretty well after a day off. And if this is what it is for Aaron Judge, I know it was frustrating for people. I was frustrated by it when on April 15th, again, a little more than a week into the season, he was already being taken out of the lineup. And I, I do think that it was stupid that he didn't play on Jackie Robinson Day. It was the 75th anniversary. Aaron Judge is one of the most prominent African-American baseball players in the world and he plays for the Yankees. For him not to be in the lineup that day was pretty stupid. Give him the day off the next day. Give him the day off the day before. Whatever it is, people were frustrated that he didn't play that day so early in the season. But he always seems to play well after he's had a day off. Also, if this is the cost of doing business and keeping Aaron Judge healthy over a full 162-game season, if the key to Judge not taking a lengthy absence on the injured list is sitting 15 games, sitting 20 games, and playing 140 games, playing 142 games. I think you take that, especially with the depth that the Yankees have. So this might actually be the ticket. So Judge sits on Saturday. Friday, Gallo and Donaldson sat. Thursday, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Glaber Torres sat. Uh, before that, Aaron Hicks missed the entire Baltimore series as he was on the paternity list. And then you go back to last week, and when the Guardians were in town, Stanton sat on Sunday. Torres sat on Saturday. Aaron Hicks sat on the previous Friday, and then the final game of the Detroit series, both Torres and Donaldson sat. So you know what the interesting thing is? And Jacob, if you're there and can hop on the mic, who didn't I mention? I mean, we're talking about a week and a half stretch of the rest roulette. Whose name did I not mention as ever sitting out? Were you paying that close attention, or Jake? I would say that the name that I didn't hear is a guy that got hurt yesterday, and that's Joey Gallo. No, no, Gallo sat. Gallo sat today, obviously. He also sat on Friday, so Gallo's been out. But my my point is with the, you know, ro- whatever, the rest roulette. Right. Now that might not be such a problem with Gallo getting hurt. So with him Well, that's what we out, said all along. You're not going to sit here and, and, and hope for an injury, obviously. But with but, the Yankees, we sure have seen it over the past few years. But the, the name that hasn't been out of the lineup is DJ LeMahieu. And he's kind of, I don't want to say he's gone back to the old form that we've seen in previous years when he was an MVP candidate, but he has looked really sharp at the top of the lineup. And, you know, with him up there and then Judge and Rizzo, there's not many one, two, three, and then Stanton right behind them. I don't think there's a better one, two, three, four in all of baseball. Well, I'll say it. If you don't want to say it, I'll say it. DJ LeMahieu is back to the guy who he was the first two years he was a Yankee in uh, 19 and 20 when he was MVP finalist. He's back to that guy. I hope so. And what we've seen, and the thing that doesn't show up in the stat sheet every night is the fact that he plays first base, second base, third base. The fact that he's interchangeable like that and you can kind of just put him anywhere, we've seen already the value that that has. So Aaron Boone's job a a little easier. Most things are when your team is winning. They've won nine games in a row, and they're starting to do it in different ways. They have bludgeoned teams with their offense. They've gotten excellent pitching. That's been consistent this entire season. Today, a come-from-behind win. Now, today could have been an easy day. All right, look, we just won eight games in a row. We just clinched our fourth straight series win no matter what. 
happens in this game. We've already won the series in Kansas City. Let's get on the plane. Let's look ahead to Toronto, down 4-1 to one midway through the game. But no, the Yankees score two runs in the fifth, two runs in the seventh. Judge homers in the ninth. Yankees win 6-4. to four. So here's Aaron Boone on his team's comeback win. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, it's one of those you've already won the series. You're down 4-1. You know, it, it, that's one that can easily get away from you. Credit credit to Seve, man. You know, just battled. And, and you know, to get through five innings for us and just kind of wasn't going great, obviously, there in the third and fourth. But he, he gets through clean in the fourth, fifth, and, and just just a really, really good effort. And then everyone coming in in the pen and contributing and throwing a hand in there, I thought really good. We, we didn't break it open necessarily, but I, I thought we really made it tough on them and, Gave, grinded ourselves back into that game, and um, yeah, just a, another another good one because so many people had a hand in it. Severino gave up three runs in the third inning. He gave up another run in the fourth, but he shut them down in the fifth, and then handed the ball over to the bullpen. Clark Schmidt, Lucas Lidke, Michael King, whose ERA is down to 0.61, and Aroldis Chapman, who has really shaken off that first bad performance against Toronto and uh, walking in the game-winning run against Baltimore, his first couple of appearances. Chapman with his sixth save, and he has not given up an earned run yet this season. When we uh, come back, we'll, we'll hear more from Aaron Boone. The rosters for Major League Baseball, as of tomorrow, have to be trimmed from 28 to 26 players. So when you have a team playing as well as the Yankees, it's probably going to be a tough decision. We'll let you know the two Yankees who heard their numbers called the wrong way. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. All right, now, if you haven't checked out the all-new ESPN New York app, I strongly encourage you to do so. You can get all your favorite 98.7 radio shows. You can get streaming, live streaming of our play-by-play. You can catch up on what you might have missed if uh, you weren't tuned in live. You get daily recap podcasts from DPH and Rothenberg, the Michael K. Show, Greeny, ENN, and more. I've downloaded it. It's very user-friendly. It's excellent to use and navigate. You get some streaming exclusives like game misconduct, caught offside, flight deck, and breaking Big Blue. It is the all-new ESPN New York app, available now on the App Store and on Google Play. Your city, your teams, your ESPN New York app. Go and get it. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you. Here till 9, Larry Hardesty follows me. Uh, the Yankees beating the Royals 6-4, to four, coming from behind to do so in Kansas City, wrapping up that three-game sweep. Now, it's not all good news for all Yankees because the Major League Baseball rosters after today's games have to be trimmed from 28 players to 26. 26 is where it will stay for the remainder of the season. It started with 28 because of the shortened spring training. Uh, The Major League Baseball Players Association and the owners agreed to have a few extra roster spots to allow for some extra relief pitchers in the event of uh, starting pitchers not really being built up yet, going deep into games and all of those reasons. But they gave them a month. The first month of the season is in the books. Now it's down to a 26-man roster. So after the game, the Yankees sent down two players who figured prominently in today's win. So it's nice to see them go out on a high note, but it's got to be a bittersweet day for both Miguel and Duhar and Clark Schmidt. Schmidt picked up the win. He was the first guy out of the bullpen and through a scoreless sixth inning, 
lowering his ERA to 1.08 and picking up his second win of the season. And then Duhar, who was called up last week when Aaron Hicks went on the paternity list, and when Hicks came back and Duhar stayed on the roster, finally got a chance to be in the lineup today, started in left field, and went two for four and scored a run. So Andujar... Uh, two for five in this stint in the majors. And unfortunately for Andujar, he just hasn't been able to find any traction on this Yankees roster. It's too crowded at the position that he plays. Aaron Hicks is healthy for now. Joey Gallo, now we'll see about him and, and if and when he can return to the lineup. That might open a spot for Miguel Andujar. Obviously, you have Judge in the lineup every day. You have Stanton in the lineup every day. And then for your fourth or fifth outfielder, Tim LaCastro is just better suited than Miguel Andujar. Andujar's strengths are kind of redundant with what Aaron Judge does, with what Andujar does. He's a right-handed power hitter who, in Andujar's case, is not a, I shouldn't say a great fielder. He's not a good fielder at all out there. Whereas LaCastro is a guy who can give a guy a rest. He can come in late in the game as a defensive replacement. He could be a pinch runner. He's more your prototypical fourth or fifth outfielder. So unfortunately, Andujar sent back down. Clark Schmidt sent back down as well. It's a numbers game a lot of times with these players. It's who has options and who's able to be sent back down to the minor leagues and who's not. And that plays into it as much as any. Uh, Andujar has been with the Yankees Aaron Boone's entire time. His best season was his first in 2018 when he was the runner-up for American League Rookie of the Year. My opinion, should have won Rookie of the Year that season. So Aaron Boone's been through this with Andujar going back and forth in the big leagues, and he spoke about it after he was sent down this afternoon. Man, he's in such a better place than he's been the last couple years. Um, he's been ready the whole time. He's I, I just... You know, he had a huge at bat too. You know, battle, 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 get on base. Um, you know, another hit off a tough righty there later. Um, you know, so I know it's not easy for him right now, but he, I, I feel like his mindset's really good. Like, he's just trying to be the best player he can be. And I th feel like physically he's in a really good space right now. The only thing that he can do is produce when he's up here. And it was a similar situation with Clint Frazier. Frazier was up and down, up and down, up and down. And then he finally produced in 2020, and he stayed. And then after that, he stopped producing, and the Yankees moved on from him. If you produce, they will find a spot for you. And so far, so good. Look, he went two for four today, two for five, his first trip up, and we'll see when his next opportunity comes. Elsewhere, Aaron Judge, two home runs, uh, bookending the game, one in the first inning, one in the Ninth inning, 453-foot shot in the first, and then almost a 400-foot shot in the ninth. That was an important insurance run for the Yankees. Here's Boone on his slugger, Aaron Judge. Good to see him in there. And, I mean, the way he cleaned that first one out, man, wow. Uh, it's tough to hit a ball more pure than that. And then uh, and then a little explanation, exclamation point on it there at the end the other way. Um, yeah, it was obviously big for us. I mean, you talk about... Aaron Boone was saying how Miguel Andujar is in a great place right now or a much better place than he has been. Aaron Judge seems to be in a great place. He looks fresh, and maybe there is something to this rest thing. Look, the point I made earlier, everything looks better when your team is winning. All right, so Aaron Boone has to leave an everyday starter out of the lineup every day. They're 7-6. and six. That means nobody's getting any consistency, and they can't get any positive momentum. All of a sudden, they win nine straight games. Oh, wow. Aaron Judge looks really fresh. 
you know, Giancarlo Stanton in the field, Aaron Hicks is staying healthy. They're not getting these nagging injuries that they've had in recent years. What it comes down to is winning. All right? If you're winning ball games, then everything looks better. I heard Aaron Boone with the guys on the case show this week. The food tastes better on the plane. The glass of wine after the game tastes better for Aaron Boone. It's because the team is winning. And lately, they've come from behind like they did today. They've put double-digit runs on the board, 10 against the Orioles, 12 against the Royals. The pitching has been there all season long. That has been the one constant on this team. They've got the best pitching staff in baseball start to finish to begin the season. And Boone recognizes now that this team is winning in different ways. It is really big, you know, and they feel that at their core, you know, that they know that they can beat you in a lot of different ways uh, on a given night. You know, whether we slug with you, whether it's the pitching and the defense, um, you know, it, it's it's really good to see. And again, it, it's it's taken it's taken all of them, and that's been nice. So again, it was Severino starting three earned runs in five innings. His ERA now three point seven five. But you've got to be extremely enthused with what you've gotten from Severino so far. Schmidt a shutout inning. Lucas Lidke got into a little bit of trouble. One third of an inning. Gave up a couple of hits. They bring in Michael King, who shuts the door again. One and two-thirds innings, and he struck out two more batters. So King now this season, let me pull up his season numbers. He's pitched seven games, 14 and two-thirds innings, and he's given up one earned run in 14 and two-thirds innings, a 0.61 ERA. We have seen the Yankees' bullpen, for the most part, has been the strength of the team Obviously, through the great times and then through the non-championship times, which we are currently in. And in recent years, they have every year seemingly found a guy who can go more than an inning, who can pitch in many different situations. In recent years, last year it was Jonathan Loisaga. He kind of stepped into that role. You know, obviously it's the role that, you know, Yankee fans of a certain age associate with Ramiro Mendoza. He could start, he could close, he could set up, he could be your long man out of the bullpen. Michael King, at least through 14 and two-thirds innings, seems to be the current iteration of that guy in the Yankees rotation. He was fantastic again, getting five big outs, allowing the Yankees the chance to come back and win the game. Uh, here's Boone on Michael King. Man, he's <laughs> he has been great. Um Another another big outing today for him. Comes in there with some traffic and you know gives us what an inning two third gets a double play ball, goes out and and holds him down there and turns it over to Chappie. So yeah, just another another really strong outing by him. By the way, fourteen and two thirds innings, one earned run, twenty two strikeouts, and three walks for Michael King out of the Yankees' bullpen. So the Yankees have won nine in a row. Uh, when we come back, we'll circle back to the NBA playoffs, what happened on Sunday, and look back to a very important offseason just a few years ago that made a lot of noise for certain NBA teams that was supposed to set them up for years to come, the 2019 offseason. We'll take a little bit of a look back and see how those teams are faring right now in these 2022 NBA playoffs. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. All right, rolling along here on Sunday night, um, 1-800-919-3776. We're bouncing around. Yanks, a nine-game winning streak, three straight series sweeps, and a big one coming up this week starting tomorrow 
in Toronto against the second-place Blue Jays. Mets are heading to the fourth inning right now at City Field, leading the Phillies by a score of 2-1. to one. As expected, a good pitching matchup between Zach Eflin and Max Scherzer. Scherzer's only blemish so far, a solo home run by Kyle Schwarber in the second inning. So the Mets, the Mets have won every series so far this season. They need to win tonight to keep that streak alive. And then we had the NBA playoffs, second round getting underway. Two road upsets on the first day of the second round of the playoffs. The Boston Celtics lose their first game this postseason, 101-89 to Milwaukee. And then in a fantastic game in Memphis, the Warriors come back from trailing at halftime without Draymond Green, who had been ejected for a flagrant two foul late in the second quarter. And still Golden State comes back and survives, holds off Memphis 117 to 116, 31 points for Jordan Poole. By the way, in that Boston-Milwaukee game, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and again, the Bucks are playing without Chris Middleton. Giannis had a triple-double, 24, 13 rebounds, 12 assists, a couple of block shots as well, and they also get 25 points from Drew Holiday. So the other two members of their big three combining to score 49 points and grab 22 rebounds. So Toronto up, or Toronto, excuse me, Milwaukee up uh, 1-0 on Boston and Golden State 1-0 on Memphis. You know, I, I was thinking a lot recently with some of the uh, – performances in these NBA playoffs by Chris Paul and Phoenix begins its second round series tomorrow night when they host the Dallas Mavericks game one in Phoenix and you think about the 2019 offseason now that was the year and Knicks fans will remember this that the Knicks had traded Chris Stapp's Porzingis and they had cleared all of the cap space for two max slots and the Knicks were also going to be at the top of the lottery that same year and you remember after the Porzingis trade, the back page of, I believe it was the Post, had pictures of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Zion Williamson as if all three of those guys were going to come to New York together. And there was a chance they would. There was talk all season long that Durant, who we all assumed was going to leave Golden State, and he did, and Kyrie Irving, who as the season went on and on, it became more and more clear that he was going to leave Boston, there was a chance that, hey, why not? Why won't they team up and come to New York to play for the Knicks? And then, of course, the Knicks, on top of that, would have had a chance at the number one pick in the lottery. They ended up getting the number three pick in the lottery that season and picking R.J. Barrett and not Zion Williamson. But that's where the 2019 offseason started. And then, of course, there was that fateful day, June 29th, 2019, the first day of free agency, and Duran and Irving immediately declaring that they're going to go to Brooklyn together to play for the Nets. And that just set off one of the most wild weeks in NBA offseason history that I can ever remember. Uh, the whole landscape of the league was supposed to change. Teams went from middle-of-the-road, run-of-the-mill organizations to championship contenders because of moves that teams made that week. They were supposed to be setting themselves up for a half decade of success each. Well, let's go through the transactions that happened that week of late June, early July 2019 and kind of take them one by one. And, and with the hindsight now of three years' time, let's see how that turned out. So the one I mentioned first and foremost in this town is Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant 
teaming up to go to Brooklyn. And I refer to it all the time. The back page of, I believe, the Daily News, the picture of Barclays Center saying that that arena in Brooklyn that's been around since 2012 is the new mecca because of Durant and Kyrie Irving and what they were going to bring to this Nets organization. Never mind the fact that Durant was coming off a ruptured Achilles and was going to likely miss the entire first season in Brooklyn, which he did. What this was going to mean, those two guys in Brooklyn for years to come. Well, it's been three years now, and what the Nets have to show for it is one, one playoff series win. Now, credit to the Nets, because we'll get to some other teams on this list that made huge swings that week that haven't gone to the playoffs every year since then. The Nets have at least gone to the playoffs every season since then. The first year they went, that was the bubble year, where they were swept in the first round by Toronto. Last year, as it turned out, was their best shot at a championship and ultimately might end up being their best shot at a championship when they easily dispatched the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs and then lost that really almost epic seven-game series to the Milwaukee Bucks in the second. And then this year, they get swept out of the first round by the Celtics. So there we go. The Nets, 2019 NBA offseason, set up for years to come, playing in the quote-unquote new mecca with Durant and Irving, and they've won one playoff series since then. Houston, that same week, trades Chris Paul to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, the Chris Paul... And James Harden partnership with the Houston Rockets came close. They reached the conference finals a couple of times. One of those years, Chris Paul injured his hamstring right at the very end of game five after Houston had taken a three games to two lead over Golden State. So it looked like they were finally going to knock off the dynasty Golden State Warriors. Warriors came back, won game six, won game seven, went to the finals. And then in the next year, Golden State wasn't able to take it, or Houston wasn't able to take advantage in 2019 of Kevin Durant not playing in that series, and they weren't able to knock off the Warriors playing without Durant. And Durant and or Harden and Chris Paul kind of soured on playing with each other. Chris Paul was old; uh, he was starting to get run down. A lot of mileage on him. His slight frame. You weren't really sure what he was. Think about where Chris Paul is right now. Now, his last game we saw him play was Thursday night when he went 14 for 14 from the field in a closeout win over the New Orleans Pelicans. Paul is about to be, this week, he'll turn 37 years old. Three years ago, he was thought by many to be done. He was 34 years old when the 2019 season came to an end. Harden wanted to move on from Paul. And Daryl Morey, as he often does, placated to James Harden. In order to do so, he had to send Paul to Oklahoma City. Here's what he also had to send. A 2024 first-round pick. A 2026 first-round pick. Pick swaps in 2021 and 2025. All of that for Russell Westbrook, a guy who the Lakers would love to run out of the league right now because of how fast his game has deteriorated. Think about that. Three years ago... You had to attach two first-round picks and two pick swaps to Chris Paul just to get rid of him and get Russell Westbrook in. The Westbrook experiment with Harden predictably didn't work. Chris Paul turned around an Oklahoma City franchise, rebuilt his value in a single year, was traded to Phoenix, and now, obviously, they're the best team in the NBA and chasing their first championship in franchise history. And then... The Clippers, 
that same offseason, they trade for Chris Paul, or Paul George, excuse me, because they wanted to get Kawhi Leonard. They trade Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari. Listen to this, a 2022 first-round pick, a 2024 first-round pick, a 2026 first-round pick. This is real. Then two additional first-round picks from the Miami Heat, 2021-2023. A pick swap in 2023. A pick swap in 2025. All of it for Paul George. Not because they wanted Paul George, which they did, but if they didn't have Paul George, they wouldn't have been able to sign Kawhi Leonard. Now, the Clippers have had the most success because at least they went to the conference finals last year. They're 3-2 and two in playoff series since that 2019 trade, but they missed the playoffs entirely this year. So where are those three franchises three years, three years after the 2019 wild frenzy first week of the offseason that were supposed to set up the Nets, that were supposed to set up the Rockets, that were supposed to set up the Clippers? What do those three franchises have to show for that offseason? So instead, you ask, well, who are the NBA title contenders? Well, the Golden State Warriors are a title contender right now. What has been their big swing since 2019? Nothing. Their big swing, they lost Kevin Durant. Milwaukee, now they took a big swing last year. They made the big trade with the New Orleans Pelicans for Drew Holiday. It's all about trading for the right guy. And in this case, it's all about pairing him with the right guy. And the Milwaukee Bucks have the right guy in Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Boston Celtics, this has been a steady build for years. Builds around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And you add in home. The Celtics are largely homegrown. Those two guys were draft picks. Robert Williams was a draft pick. Marcus Smart, who they've been trying to get out of Boston for 10 years, was a first-round draft pick. They were they, they, they were in the mix the entire time, but now you bring in Ime Udoka, a new voice, a new direction, a new defensive mindset, and that has made them title contenders. And then you have the Phoenix Suns, and the Phoenix Suns, like the Milwaukee Bucks, took that one big swing. They took it last year as they built the infrastructure of their roster, and they traded with Oklahoma City and brought in Chris Paul. And last year, they go to the finals, and this year, they're the number one seed in the entire NBA. So, my point is, it's not just about going after the big star. You have to, A, go after the right big star, and B, you have to pair him with the right big star. The two teams in the NBA Finals last year did that. Giannis is the ultimate teammate. The only thing on that guy's mind is winning. Devin Booker has similar attributes mindset-wise. Not a similar game, obviously. They're two completely different players, but Devin Booker is the right guy in Phoenix. And then you add Chris Paul to Devin Booker and what they were building. You add Drew Holiday to Milwaukee and Giannis and Chris Middleton and what they were building. And that's how championship teams are built. You look at the playoffs right now. There is no quick fix. Who are the contenders? The Milwaukee Bucks. They've been building to this for a long time. It culminated last year with them winning the championship. The Celtics have been building to this point for a long time. The Golden State Warriors have been together now for nearly a decade. Green, Curry, Thompson, and they've added the right pieces on top of them. And the Phoenix Suns have been together for about five or six years now, and you add in Chris Paul, and those are your championship contenders. There are no quick-fix Brooklyn Nets. There are no quick-fix LA Clippers. There are no quick-fix Houston Rockets. Are the 76ers a championship contender? No. 
not with Joel Embiid's face fractured and him missing the first couple of games, maybe the entire series against Miami, another quick fix team. Even if he was healthy, I don't know that they were contenders because James Harden, what are you going to get with James Harden? So there are no quick fixes in the NBA. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show.